All right. Hey, uh, my name's Clayton. I'm the pastor here at Central, and I'm glad you guys are with us today. Man, if you're a guest, I'm pumped that you're here as well. I know there's some people watching online, like Chris Carney right now. Shout out to Chris right now. Um, he's watching at home right now. So thank you guys for being um, here and being um, with us this, this morning. So, hey, if you just, as you saw the, the kind of the intro video, we are doing this series um, called Stranger Stories. And we're talking about just some bizarre things um, in the Bible. And there are some bizarre um, stories out there. In fact, I'd like to start off today by reading another bizarre story from not the Bible, but from another book. This is a published book. And uh, this is a book from, by a little kid um, when he was nine years old uh, who wrote this. And his name is uh, Clayton. Okay. So uh, this is uh, my book. Okay. So my parents last week uh, came and visited and they brought this book back and we started reading some of these stories. And I just, I can't pass it up. I've got to read this story, this bizarre, strange story from a nine-year-old. Okay. Now, let me warn you what you're about to hear. Okay. Today, if a kid wrote this, his parents would probably be in jail and the kid would be suspended, okay? So, just word of warning. So, true, this, is, this is what I really wrote. In cursive, by the way. Can you imagine? Uh, thank you very much. Okay. I can't even do this anymore. So, this is the true story of Little Red Riding Hood. Ready? Whew. I can't believe I'm reading this. Okay. This is... The real story of Little Red Riding Hood from the wolf's point of view. Once upon a time, the, the wolf, which is me, was chasing a rabbit when I smelt, I use the word smelt, okay, smelt the sweet aroma of a pie, apple, grapes, oranges, and even a cake. So I let the helpless rabbit go on his way. Then I, I turned around and there was a, it was a hunter and a girl with a red suit on. The hunter was aiming right at my dinner, which was the rabbit. So I leapt up and I bit the hunter right on the arm, and the hunter shot, but he missed me. Then I ran off into the woods. Then it gets good. I went into town, and I broke into an army store. Okay? <laughs> this is imagination, right? And I got a... All right. I got a dagger, a shotgun, a forty-four, a twenty-two. A switchblade, a missile launcher, machine gun, double barrel, pocket knife, pistol, hand grenades, cherry bombs, pellet gun, BB gun, dynamite, and some time bombs. Okay, I don't know what's going on in my nine-year-old head here. Okay, Woo. Then I ran out the door, <laughs> and I finally caught up with the hunter and the girl that had, that had the food. By that time, they were at their grandmother's house, so I jumped through the window, and I shot grandma. Okay. I... <laughs> Just then, the door opened, and the hunter and the girl with the food, they stepped in. So I jumped under the bed, and the hunter and the girl, they looked in the closet for, her, for their grandmother. So I stepped out from under the bed, and I shot them, obviously. And then I dragged them and their grandmother to my house in the woods. Then I ate them, okay? But I had to stop a couple of times to get the bullets out of them. And this is the true story of Little Red Riding Hood, and it has a picture, okay? Can you... It's bad, guys. It's really bad. So now you know what's going on inside of my brain, okay? That's pretty bad, right? It's terrible. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty strange story. And you listen to that story, and you're like, that's just goofy. I mean, why would someone write something like that? Well, 
Last week, we looked at a, another strange story, but it was actually from the Bible. And let me give you a little background on it. So the Israelites, they are, they're about to enter the, the promised land. So they're on the other side of the Jordan River. And this is where Balaam's, and Balaam's trip happens. So he comes from the, from the north, comes down to, to plant a curse on the, the Israelites. That's, who, that he was, that's what he's hired to do. And that's when God speaks through this donkey and changes his life and the Israelites' life. And we learned last week that it's a couple things. One, that, that God wants to get our attention, doesn't he? And he's going to use some crazy ways sometimes to get our attention. And he wants to not only get our attention but to use us. Even if we are unqualified like the, like the donkey, way unqualified to speak for God, right? And even if we are rebellious just like this rebellious prophet named Balaam. That's what we learned about. Well, all that happened in about 1407 B.C., and so the Israelites, they, they finally cross the Jordan right after this story, and they go to battle. There's all these nations um, that are already living in that area, and so they're going and fighting them. And six miles away from the Jordan River is this little town called Jericho. Actually, it was a big city back then. You guys all have heard about Jericho with its high walls. And seven years later, after they're, as they're traveling around fighting, in 1400 B.C., Joshua and the Israelite army, they, they you know, walk around the, the city a whole bunch of times, and they, they blow their trumpets, and they shout, and the walls come tumbling down, right? The, the kid's story of what happening uh, in the Battle of Jericho. And that's what happened around 1400 B.C., and they got to see an incredible miracle of God happen. Now, you got to fast forward a couple hundred years, and you get to see God moving in the life of the Israelites, his people, the people of God. And you have guys like King David, and they build this mighty kingdom, but then things kind of turn bad. And so you have in the Bible these, these two books, First and Second Kings, and they tell the story of what happened after David. And so the kings don't do very well. They're terrible leaders. And they run the nation into the ground. Like you have David's son, Solomon. So Solomon ended up being a bad leader, okay? And then his, his son, Rehoboam, became king, and he was even worse. He was so bad that he caused a civil war, and the, the nation of Israel split into to two. And if, I remember this in seminary, I learned that Israel is to the north, okay, and Judah is to the, the south. And Israel is to the north because south has an S in it and Israel doesn't have, or south has an S in it and Israel doesn't, okay, something like that. I don't know, Israel does. I don't know, it's confusing. But it's like backwards. So now you always remember, if it says S, it doesn't mean south, it means north. I don't know, that's how you, that's how you remember it, okay. So Israel to the, to the north, Judah to the south, it's split in half. And you have, in each you have a bunch of kings and you have a bunch of prophets happening at the exact same time. So it's during this, this part of the, the story of God in, in the Bible that prophets come into the, the picture. And these prophets, they're not fortune tellers. What they do is they speak on, on God's behalf. And they try to urge the people to turn back to God. And, and they actually tell people and remind people of their calling. Their calling as the Israelites was to be a light to the nations. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? That sounds very New Testament-ish. It sounds very Christian-ish that we are to be a light to the nations. Well, the people of Israel back then were the same way. That was their job. That was their calling. And the, the prophets would continually tell them, you're supposed to be a light to the nations. And they kept rebelling 
against God. So in First and Second Kings, you have these two storylines, okay? You have the kings and you have the, the prophets. And they're going on at the exact same time. And I, I'll just be honest with you, it's kind of confusing. There's a whole lot of kings, a whole lot of prophets. Some of them are living the same time. It's just really confusing. But the most famous prophets are these two guys in the northern kingdom. And their names are Elijah and his disciple, Elisha. And I wish their names were like more different because it's always kind of confusing. You got Elijah and Elisha. But Elijah is the older guy, okay? And he's this wild guy. And he actually lived in the wilderness. And God worked through Elijah to do some incredible things and point people back to God. In fact, God performed seven miracles through Elijah just to, just to show God's power. And so Elijah, he mentors Elisha for 50 years. That's a long time to be in a mentoring relationship. And they, he, he mentors him for 50 years, and then Elijah kind of, like, retires, right? And Elisha, Elisha takes over, and Elisha actually prayed to God that God would give him, like, a double blessing compared to Elijah. And God actually answered that. So instead of just seven miracles, Elisha is provided the opportunity to, to perform 14 miracles. So you have seven miracles from Elijah and, and 14 miracles from Elisha. And one of those miracles is what we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. And we'll get there here in just a second. But 2 Kings chapter 6. So about 550 years after the story from last week of Balaam, when the donkey happened, Elisha is doing his thing in this town. We were talking about this town Jericho. And what he what happened was is he inherited a school um, for prophets. It was like a like a prophet academy. Okay. And this this was made up of a group of like young prophets and they were cutting their teeth. They're like college students and they're they're trying to figure life out and they're trying to learn to be like their, their mentor who is Elisha. And it was growing, like great things were happening. And anytime growth happens, if you know, if you've been a part of growth, everybody has challenges arise, right? So if you have a young family and you, your family begins to grow, then that one-bedroom apartment doesn't cut it anymore and you need to find a bigger apartment or, or a home to live in, right? If your business grows, you have to find a better place to, to house your business. If the school district grows, then they raise taxes and they build more campuses, don't they? Or if the church grows, what do we do? We have a capital campaign and we build and renovate and do all those kind of things to accommodate for growth. Well, that's exactly what was happening. So in Jericho, Elisha has his prophet preparatory academy. Okay, whatever, I just made that up. Okay, so they have this academy, and it's full of these, these young prophets to be. And they're learning, and they're trying to figure it out. And they're just out of space. And, and honestly, they, all they had was this one classroom. And some of the prophets were from, from out of town. And so they were traveling and, and staying there. And there was no, there was no dorms. There's no beds. Um, there, was, there was no bathroom down the hall. I mean, they had, all they had was this little room. And it got old really, really quick. And so here's what happens in 2 Kings 6. Y'all read this with me. I'll have it up on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you today. But here's what happens. So one day, this group of prophets came to Elisha and told him, as you can see, this place where we meet with you is too small. Let's Let's go down to the Jordan River where there are plenty of logs. There we can build a new place for us to meet. And so Jericho is kind of in a desert area. And if you travel to, to the east just a little bit, those, those few miles, you get into this, 
Jordan Valley area where, where there's, there's tons of big trees back then. And so they said, hey, let's go and let's build there. There's plenty of logs for us to cut down. All right, he told them, go ahead. And verse 3 says, they say, they say this, please, please come with us, someone suggested. I will, he said. So he went with them, and when they arrived at the Jordan, they began cutting down trees. They needed more space, and so they decided to build. But in the middle of the story, something happens. Something happens that changes this whole trajectory of this, this story. So look at the next couple of verses. But as one of them was cutting a tree, his, his axe head fell into the river. Okay, so this is just sidebar here, a um, little lesson for today. Um, don't cut down wood next to water, okay? Bad things happen, chainsaw falls in the water, whatever, okay? So don't do that. He, he says this, oh, sir, he cried, it was a borrowed axe. Where did it fall, the man of God asked. When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and he threw it into the water at that spot. Then the, the axe head floated to the surface. Grab it, Elisha said, and the man reached out and grabbed it. That's weird, okay? Like that, that's, that's some voodoo stuff going on right there, okay? Like that actually should probably be in this book right here, okay? That's, that's how weird this, this story is. That, I mean, it sounds made up, right? Like why would that happen in, in the Bible? But this is the Bible. And here's what the Bible has to say about itself. In 2 Timothy 3, the Bible says all Scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, to convict us of, of our sin. So the Bible is written by God for us. But what about these old stories? Like, in particular, what about this floating axe from 2,800 years ago? Why in the world is that in the Bible? What does it mean for us? Well, Romans chapter 15 kind of says the same thing. It says, such things were written in the scriptures long, long ago. Why? To teach us. To teach us something. So why is this story in the Bible? Or better yet, what's the message that God has for us? How are we going to pull out a message out of a floating axe? Well, you know, the Bible is full of these big moments that require like these big prayerful times. And the course of history has changed, like the parting of the Red Sea, or the Battle of Jericho, or David running for his, his life and the prayers that he prayed, right? Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they are in the fire and they're praying to God. Or maybe the best example is when Jesus is in the garden and he's about to be convicted and executed and he's sweating drops of blood and he is praying. Those are some massive, huge prayers in the middle of these big moments. And here's the deal. If these are the only moments we see people praying, then it teaches us something. It's easy to assume that then we, we need to save our prayers for the big stuff, right? That God only has a limited amount of time and to hear our prayers. And so we need to save them for the best moments, these life-changing moments and decisions like who am I going to marry, God? You got to show me. I don't want to make a mistake, right? Or what career am I going to have, God? You need to show me. This, this decision I need to make about moving or staying, these are big, life-changing moments. I need your help, God. I need your help. 
Or how about when tragedy happens? That's when we really pray, isn't it? When we are, we are desperate for his intervention in our lives, those are the moments that we really pray. But then in the Bible, there's this goofy story about a floating axe. And I think it teaches us something. I think it teaches us this, that God cares about the little things, right? God cares about the little insignificant things in our lives. Like the axe in the river, that's really not a big deal. Compared to all the other stuff that's going on in that moment in the life of the people of Israel and in Elisha's life, there's not, that's, that's not very important. In fact, the king at that time was drawing the people away from God to worship Baal, to worship a false god. And there's enemies, enemies all around. They thought they were about to be conquered. And Elisha has this huge responsibility to try to rally the nation back to God. Okay, and then some random unnamed prophet in training, he has this accident and does something stupid, and an axe falls into the water. Like, how did this end up in the Bible? <laughs> you know? Why is it important? Well, here's the deal. Well, if if we didn't have this biblical story, then I think it's easy to see our little problems and our small decisions as insignificant to God. And if we believe that, then what happens is we'll pile up those problems. We'll pile up those little decisions. We'll put them on our shoulders. And we don't take them to God because he's too busy, right? I mean, he's, he's moving nations right now, okay? He's got way more important things than my small little problems. So this little stuff, what happens is it stacks up. It begins to pile up. And what's going to happen is we begin to think about them, right? We begin to contemplate them, and we worry about them. And our anxiety level grows, and we're hesitant to go to God because we think he has got more important things to do. And so we're, we're afraid and hesitant to go to him and say, God, my, my axe head fell in the water, right? Well, can I tell you something this morning? Your axe head matters to God. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird statement. What it means is that he cares about the little things in your life because he cares about you. He cares about you deeply and passionately, all of you, even the little things. Here's what the Bible says in Psalm 55. Give your burdens to the Lord, and he'll take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. Give your burdens to him. He's going to take care of you. First Peter kind of says the same thing, to give all your worries and care, cares to God. Why? For he cares about you. When my son Corbin was, was little, I got to take him on his first hunting trip. And I remember my very first hunting trip, and it didn't go very well. Um, I didn't even get to shoot a gun. And my, my, in fact, my dad was asleep the whole time, and I woke him up when a deer jumped over a fence. He's like, oh, and he shot the deer. And that was like the end of the whole uh, hunting story, okay? So my, 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 my son is getting his first experience, and so we're staying in this trailer, and we get up one morning, and it's, it's cold, and so we got all these, these clothes on, and he's got way too many clothes on. He's like, it's like he's going skiing or something, right? And so we, we walk over um, to, the, to the, the deer blind. It's a big octagon deer blind. You had to like walk up these ladders to get up in it, and it's pitch black, and we're trying to be careful, okay, and quiet, because we don't want to spook anything. You guys know if you ever been hunting, it's almost impossible, especially with like an eight-year-old, okay? It's sort of like banging up against stuff and kind of giggling and laughing. And we finally get in our chairs in the middle of this blind. We open up these little windows. 
and the sun hasn't come up yet, and so what do you do when the sun hasn't come up yet? Well, you don't get on your, some of y'all get on your phone, okay, <laughs> like play Angry Birds, but, uh, but I just fall asleep, right? So I'm just, I'm asleep in, and I'm like, Corbin, wake me up when the sun comes up. In the middle, as I'm trying to sleep, I'm just praying. I'm like, God, I know this is kind of selfish, but can you, can you bring a deer? <laughs> like, just so Corbin can shoot this deer, because I want him to love hunting. I don't want this to be like the first bad experience for him. Can you, can you just please bring a deer? Just a small one. It'd be fine. It doesn't have to be like a giant one. Just a small one. We'll take anything. And so I'm praying this prayer. And kind of in my, in my conscience, I'm like, this is kind of silly, you know. And so we're, we're waiting. The sun comes up. And sure enough, this doe pops out. And so, I mean, if you guys have been hunting your, your heart rate starts to race. And Corbin's like, oh, oh, he's breathing heavy. And I'm breathing heavy. He gets the gun up. And, and I'm, just, I'm just like telling him, okay, look, just put it right on his shoulder. Okay, take, take the safety off. And whenever you're ready, boom, like he just, he just shoots, okay? And like scared me just like that, okay? It just scared me to death because I was not ready for him to shoot. And he shoots, and this deer just goes boom and falls. I'm like, oh, yes. And we're like celebrating. I'm like, man, father-son moment. It's going to be amazing. I'm like, thank you, Lord. This is amazing. And like five minutes later, this buck walks out. And we have another tag. And I'm like, okay, God. Like, God, you could slow down just a little bit. And, uh, and so Corbin shoots this as well. And so we have these two deer laying on the ground. You might, you might, like, not, might not like hunting, but whatever. So, um, so it was just this amazing thing. And, and guys, in the grand scheme of life, is my son going to have to go through a lot more things than, than a first deer hunting experience? Absolutely. Am I going to go through more difficult things? Absolutely. But, but I prayed, right? And God wants us to do that. Even in the simple things that may seem insignificant, God cares about us. And he wants us to go to him for everything. He wants us to trust him and cast, cast all of our cares, every single one of them, on him. I love that about God. You know, one thing I love about scripture is that sometimes... You can look at this same story from a different angle, okay? And when you do, sometimes you get this deeper, richer, this another, this, this, an extra thing, okay, from this text. Something you may haven't seen before. And what happens is, is sometimes you got to put your feet in someone else's shoes for a minute. Everybody ever borrowed shoes from people before? I mean, everybody's borrowed shoes from people. And sometimes they don't fit just right or too small, too big. Or I remember I, got, I had to borrow um, some cowboy boots from one of my friends once for something. And, like, these weren't, like, the, the city slicker cowboy boots, okay, with the rubber soles. These are the real deal, okay. And all, the, all leather. And he had worn them for years. And I tried to put my feet in there. And if you know anything about cowboy boots, you're, you're, the leather kind of molds around your particular foot. And so if you try to get into someone else's cowboy boots, like it just didn't fit right. And so we don't like to do that. We prefer our own shoes, right? And we've been in our own shoes looking at this story today. And a lot of times when we read scripture, we are only in our own shoes. We only see it from our perspective. And our perspective is from the outside looking in. And our perspective is 2,800 years into the future trying to look back at this story that seems kind of simple and small and like, why in the world are they making that big of a deal about an axe head? But sometimes the little things are actually big things when you get into someone else's shoes. When it's going on in your life, often it's a big 
deal. But to us, the loss of an axe is not that big of a deal. I mean, we're going to sleep fine at night if we lose an axe. We're just going to go down to the hardware store and get a, a new one. And, it's, you know, it's time to get a new one anyways. You know, like, I'm just going to go get a new one. But back then, it was a big deal. So let me kind of explain a little bit of background to this. So Israel, back then, they were behind in technology. And these other nations around them were kind of on the cutting edge of the Iron Age. So the middle of the Iron Age right now. And what is the axe head made out of? It's made out of iron. This is a brand new tool, okay? This is cutting edge technology, pun intended, okay? Brand new. It's expensive. In fact, the Bible says that it costs one-third of a shekel to get your axe um, sharpened, okay? You take it to blacksmith, and they would sharpen it. You're like, one-third of a shekel, that's not a whole lot. Well, that's about $250 today, okay? So this is like taking your, your Tesla in, okay, to get it, get it worked on kind of a thing, okay? Your brand new car, brand new technology. And so the cost of an axe was about 50 shekels. You're like, well, how much is 50 shekels? That was the cost of a slave, okay? It was expensive. And the story says that this axe head was borrowed, okay, meaning that this young prophet in training, he didn't have any money. He didn't have any money to buy, to buy a brand new one. And so he borrows one. He's like a poor college kid, you know, who's living on ramen noodles. I mean, he's just borrowing everything. So he borrows this, this, this axe. And today it would be like borrowing that Tesla and then totaling it. Okay? Wrap your mind around that for just a moment. So in this moment, this is what's going on in this guy's head. He's freaking out. And the dollar signs are going off. And there's no insurance, okay? And if he can't find it, he's going to have to pay it back, and he has no money. And back then, do you know how they paid a debt off when it was due? They couldn't go back to the bank. They couldn't go to the bank, you know? They couldn't just go down to the bank and get, uh, get, get a loan. The way that they did it was they would sell themselves into slavery voluntarily to pay it off. So put yourself in this guy's shoes. If you think about it, this is, might have been what was going on in his head. So this is no small accident of an axe just falling into the water. This was life-shattering and life-changing. But here's the cool thing. Someone steps in in the middle of the story. Let's look back at it in verse 5. It says, but as one of them was cutting a tree, his axe Head fell into the river. Oh, sir, he cried. It was a borrowed axe. That means something different now, right, doesn't it? It's a borrowed axe. I'm in trouble. Where did it fall? The man of God asked. And when he showed him the place, Elisha, he cut a stick, threw it into the water at that spot. So looking at it, at the perspective of this young man in training, I believe it opens our eyes to another truth today. Not only does God care about the little things, but think about it this way. A simple act can have a life-changing impact. What Elisha did changed this guy's life. And while all the other prophets, we don't know what they did, but evidently they didn't jump in into the water to try to help him. They just kept cutting wood, hauling wood, doing their thing. But Elisha stopped. And he stayed, and he cared about what was going on. 
And this, this man's life was, it was turned upside down, wasn't it? And Elisha acted. This simple act changed this man's life. Look what happens at the end. Then the axe head floated to the surface. Grab it, Elisha said. And the man reached out and grabbed it. And the act of this, this young guy being able to reach down and just take this axe head off of the top of the water changed his life. It took him out of slavery. It changed the trajectory of his life. He thought his life was over. You know, it reminds me of, of Jesus. How over and over again in, in the Gospels, he took time to meet people's needs. In the Gospel of Matthew, sandwiched in between these two big moments is a very simple moment. On one, right before this is, is Jesus walking on water. Giant thing. Huge miracle. And on the other side of this moment is him feeding 4,000 people from just a little bit of food. And he's walking around the Sea of Galilee. And the Bible says that he stopped and he sat down. And people came to him and he met their needs. He healed them. People who were crippled, who were blind, who were mute. People who were sick and deaf. He changed their lives. But put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. They had just witnessed Jesus walking on water. I mean, like, he's big time now. We got things to do. We have, we have an appointment at this huge venue. It's going to be packed and crowded. And Jesus walking, he sits down, and these people come by, and they see them. They've known these people their whole lives. They're like, Jesus, we got more important things to do. And Jesus says, no, I need to stop and meet their needs. And what a great lesson that is for us. You know, you may not be able to walk on water or to feed 4,000 people, but you can stop. You can stop and meet someone's need. What's amazing about that example of Jesus is that you have an opportunity to, to change someone's life. Way back in the day when, when uh, Holly and I were younger and our kids were really small, I was a youth pastor. Um, we decided to go eat for lunch one, one Sunday after church. Not a big deal. And my, our kids wanted to go. And, and uh, as a dad, you want to provide for your kids and take care of them. And most people don't even think twice about going to eat. But back then, like, we were struggling financially. It was just, it was just it was a, we were pinching pennies, you know. And kids wanted to go out to eat. Church ends. We say amen, we start walking out, and I've got to, like, take out my phone and just, and like, and, like, check to make sure there's enough money in the bank just for the lunch, you know? Like, can we do, yes, we can do this. we got to get water, okay, but we can do this. We can make this happen. We're sharing a meal, but it's going to be okay. And so we go to this restaurant, this Mexican restaurant, right? It's just super cheap. We're like, we can do this for under $20. We're going to be okay. And so we eat, and we're, the kids are having a great time. We're just enjoying life as a, as a family. We see people, like church people, we're kind of high-fiving and that, that sort of thing. And it was such a small place that you didn't pay the, the waiter or the waitress. You actually went up to this desk right by the entrance, and you would pay there. And so we got done. We're walking up there. And we're like, oh, 
now I've got to pay, you know, or like, Ugh. and so I get up there and take my card out to pay, and I hand the lady the ticket, and she says, your meal's already paid for. And that's probably happened to people before. In fact, you've probably done that for people as well. But in that moment, that's something simple that wasn't a big deal to a lot of people. It's 20 bucks, guys. I mean, seriously. I've seen some people with like eight kids. I'm like, I'm, I feel sorry for you, okay? But, but man, it, was, it changed us. Like, we'll never forget that moment. When I didn't know how we were going to make it, and someone just stepped in and did something really simple. And it's changed how we see the church. I, I think a church member paid for our, our food. Not, not, a, not a big deal. They, they want to be anonymous. But it was, it was life-changing for us. It has changed how we see the church. It has changed how we, we view people who are struggling. And it's an opportunity for us now to give back in the same way. It changed us. And it was something super simple and easy. And honestly, that's what it means to be Christ-like. When you see people in need, and when you walk past them, that is not Christ-like. When you see people in need, God convicts your heart, that's when we're called to go and to act. And a simple act can change someone's life. You know, that axe, it should have stayed in the water. It should still be at the bottom of the Jordan today all rusted out and probably gone. It should have stayed there in the water forever. When it hits the bottom, it gets sucked into that soft mud, it should be gone forever. And this, this young man, he needed something. I think this is one final great lesson for us today. He needed a miracle, right? He needed God to show up. And you know what? We all do too. Every single one of us needs a miracle. Another way to look at this story is metaphorically about us. How that axe head is kind of like our, our lives. And when the axe head falls hard into that mud, boom, gets sucked into that mud, it is not moving anywhere. That's a great illustration of what our life is like when we fall into sin. And here's the deal. Every single one of us is stuck in that mud. And the water that's flowing over us, it's heavy insurmountable are the, often the consequences of the sin that we are, we are living in. And what Elijah, Elisha did, he's, he threw a stick in, and the waters were stirred, and that axe head began to just kind of work its way out of this mud, and, and all of a sudden it just begins to float up against all odds, and he goes and floats onto the top. This, this man picks it up, and his life is changed. And that's a great example of our lives. Look what Jesus has to say in John chapter 11. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Or how about this? Even after you feel like your life is over, I have a plan for you. I have something better for you than what you're stuck in. He's got it, guys. He is it. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. You know what? Death is coming for all of us, right? It's coming for every single one of us. But there is another piece of wood that saves. The cross. The cross of Jesus. The reason 
that cross looks like it does is because that's how they hung people to die on it. And Jesus died on the cross to save you. It's the cross and what Jesus did on it that saves us, that takes us out of that mud, takes us through the consequences of our sin, and it releases us, us to live in freedom like we, we sung about a while ago. I love what 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says. It says that the message of the cross, this idea, what we've been talking about, the message of the cross is foolishness to people who are perishing, who are running far from it. But for those who are being saved, the Bible says it is the very power of God. The idea of the cross, that's why we have it up here. Because that piece of wood, actually, the one who hung on it, has the power to save us. Every single one of us, we need a miracle, don't we? Every single one of us is living in sin. And for some of us, we have been saved from that. Because we have put our hope and our trust and our faith in Jesus. We've said, you know what, I can't wiggle my way out of this mud anymore. I can't do it. Only God can. And I don't know about you, but it, there might be someone here this morning or someone watching online who needs a miracle, who needs God to pick them up out of that mud. And the Bible promises you and promises us that he will do that. God will do that if you will put your faith and your trust in him. You repent of your sins and turn to Jesus. And I pray maybe today might be the day that you think of the idea of this axe head down in the water. There is no hope. Maybe you feel like your life is without hope. I'm telling you today, there is hope. And the hope is the one who hung on the cross, Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for every single person here today. And I thank you for every single person online. Jesus, you are strong enough to save us. When we're stuck in the mud. And so I pray if there's anyone here today who needs to say yes to you today for the very first time, that they will have the courage to do so. They have the humility to do so. They will recognize where they're stuck in the mud, in their sin, and they're dying. And they need a breath. And I pray, God, that you would save them from that, they will turn to you. They'll go and tell one of us here in just a minute. Their life will be forever changed. I pray for those of us who need to be more like Jesus. We need to be his hands and his feet. And there are people who are hurting all around us. And sometimes it's people in this room and we need to reach out and to love people in the name of Jesus. Not with just, not with earth-shattering moments, but with just these simple acts of love. To show people that, God, you really care. And you love them. Convict us, God, where we need to do that. And provide for us so that we can meet people's needs. You know, God, we, we also thank you that you are all about the little things. There's nothing that's too insignificant for you. And you ask us to, to cast all of our cares upon you. And so maybe we're at that spot where we have been holding back in our prayer life and we need to lay on our face and 
push all of those little things at the foot of the cross and ask God for you to meet our needs. I pray, God, that you would show up in a radical way in people's lives today. Thank you for weird stories in the Bible that can be life-changing. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, they're wrapping it up in the service, but I wanted to let you guys know that we at Central, we're super glad that you were here today. If you need prayer, you can just email us at prayer at cbcawaso.org. And if you're wondering when is a good time to come and be part of the service, come in person, uh, let this be your invitation right now. Uh, we'd love to see your face. Or even if you just want to comment something, we'd love to talk to you. And remember, here at Central, we're a church where Jesus changes everything. See you next week.